Hello, my name is Martin Ellis and welcome to this, the third podcast in this four-part series, An Introduction to Business Diversification for SMEs. In this podcast, I'm going to look at related diversification, which is the most common form of the four main types of diversification for SMEs. This is when your activities are based on development of one of the two main components of your core business. That is to say, either your customers or your products and services, but not both at the same time. We'll cover that eventuality in podcast four. Related diversification is undoubtedly the most common form of diversification, and the one most people turn to first, and in particular when times are tough. Indeed, it is so common that it is often not thought of as diversification at all, just an extension of the normal business. Now that's a mistake, because just like other forms of diversification, related strategies need to be tackled with care. So let's look more closely at each of those two options, starting with selling your existing products or services or capabilities to new customers in a new market. Now any market is a complex environment with many competing and influencing factors that you need to consider. If you think about it, just how much time and how much work has gone into making your current business established in its current market? Then you should have some idea about the potential difficulties of entering a brand new one. Now setting realistic expectations is very important. The biggest question you must ask yourself when considering entering a new market is, What is it about us and our value proposition that is so unique and compelling that customers will be prepared to drop their established suppliers in favour of using us? If your strategy is simply me too, i.e. you're just offering the same as everybody else, then what real chances of success do you have? You must try and find some unfulfilled customer need or competitor weakness to exploit at the very least. This, of course, is a tough requirement, but addressing it well is the key to successful entry into new markets. To do this, you'll need to have a really good knowledge of target customers and of the competitors that you're going to face in the new market, as they will be the benchmark against which your offer will be compared. Look at all aspects of your business and make sure that you can identify these critical points of differentiation and competitive advantage. A good starting point is to consider the factors that would make certain types of customers attractive to you and in return would make you attractive to them. This is what we call ideal customer and ideal supplier profiling. The key to this exercise is to find new customers whose needs best match your strengths. So for example, if you're a great at solving problems, you've got very short lead times, Maybe you work to very fine tolerances, or you provide services in some sort of unique way. Think about markets and customers where these attributes would be a good match and where competitors are not really meeting these needs. Look for markets where you could establish a niche entry rather than hitting the mainstream head on. Focus on your strengths and make sure that you have a unique and compelling customer value proposition. Let me give you an example of a company that I've worked with who's recently successfully diversified into new markets in this way. The company is a manufacturer of straw pellets, originally as biofuel, an organic renewable energy product for biomass heating systems. 
My cost down issues in the biofuel market led them to research into other possible new market opportunities, one of which turned out to be the equine market for horse bedding. Their research showed that the main competition would come from wood chip or wood pellet suppliers. But it also showed that there were some downsides to using wood products that might provide a good opportunity. Tests were undertaken to see how straw pellets compared to wood chip against the key parameters of absorbency, hoof hygiene, coverage and cost. Now the results were pretty favourable, in particular for hoof hygiene. And so with a few small product tweaks, a very high spec straw pellet product was created, beating wood on virtually every count. Market entry of course proved rather difficult, targeting a radically different customer base with whom you've got no prior experience or reputation Selling a product with which the customers are unfamiliar was never really going to be easy. But by having a very clear, unique customer value proposition, they were able to gain traction in the market. Initially and quite logically, targeting customers for whom hoof infection was an issue, then using this foothold to develop into the wider market. The company is now well established in this marketplace and the diversification has been a big success. Okay, now let's look at option two. This is diversification about bringing new products and services into existing markets. Now this isn't about variants on what you already do, but about products or services that are outside of what might be seen as your normal scope. The difficulty of this approach will vary significantly by type of company. For example, a distribution-based business may find adding new products very easy. At the end of the day, it only has to buy them in and it can easily put its toe in the water of the new idea with little risk. Whereas some manufacturing companies may find the cost of R&D and setting up to produce completely new different products a much more challenging and expensive task. In this scenario, I would refer you to the lean startup thinking I talked about in podcast one and taking a fully researched and minimum viable product type of approach. However, generally speaking, the beauty of this approach is is that you already have a good, or good-ish, knowledge of the customers, and you certainly have the opportunity to talk to them about your new ideas. And whatever you do, please do talk to them before you do anything else. There is a great risk in this type of diversification. The risk of making lots of assumptions about customers because you're familiar with them. But don't. Just because they are happily buying one thing from you doesn't mean they'll be happy to buy something else. Indeed, speaking to customers can have great advantages as they may wish to support you in your new endeavours. You may even negotiate sponsorship to develop the new products or firm orders in advance that may help you better predict likely demand or even raise finance to support the new venture. For example, a company I advised managed to interest its USA distributor in a new product idea to the extent that they actually funded 50% of the R&D in exchange for a five-year exclusive distribution deal for the North American market. Now, this substantial sum of money made the whole project more viable, but importantly gave the company one very committed US distributor who was determined to sell lots of new product and make its money back. The whole project was a huge success for both parties. So always think about others who might share the burden. Who else stands to gain from your success? Customers, 
channel partners and suppliers, they're all a good starting point. Maybe you can get them to stump up some cash, resources or forward orders to help you if you need it. The starting point for this approach needs to be a very close examination of your existing customers. If your customers are in various markets, you'll either have to treat them separately or find the common threads between them that would make any new product equally attractive. If you're looking for ideas, first of all, I would look at what I call stream product opportunities. The stream relates to the activities and products your customer uses with or in relation to your existing product. Activities undertaken by the customer before or after they use your current product or service are called downstream and upstream, respectively. Whilst activities they undertake alongside your current product or service is called onstream. Now, each of these three areas may present new opportunities for you if you can get to understand your customers' processes and the context in which your current products or services are used. Take, for example, a metal pressworks engineering company I worked with who supplied a number of small pressed components, actually washers, collars and shims. They supplied these to a customer in the automotive sector. Now, I visited the customer's factory on their behalf to see what they did with these parts. It turned out they were used as part of a locking stud assembly. The customer needed these studs as a component part for a larger assembly, which was their core business. The stud was bought in from another supplier, and then this kit of parts went to a small corner of the factory where two people sat at small presses, completing the assembly and then testing them on a rig. This little assembly operation was clearly out of keeping with the rest of the business and was obviously not very efficient. So I asked the production manager if he would prefer to buy in the stud assembly already assembled and tested. He said yes, it was a real pain to them. Some additional research showed the potential with other customers for similar complete assemblies. And so the company invested in setting up for stud production and assembly and testing. This successfully resulted in them converting what were previously sales for just a few pence per item worth of washes and shims to a few pounds per item to exactly the same customers. Entering into the supply of stream products or services is a logical extension of a business, one which customers are more likely to accept as it has synergy with your existing supply arrangements. Your customers will see your expansion into these areas as a more natural extension of your current supply agreements and be less likely to reject the idea. Don't forget customers are often willing to consider outsourcing services that are non-core to them, but they're much likely to be less interested or even threatened by the idea of outsourcing one of their own core business activities. Okay, that's about it for podcast three. The opportunities for related diversification are plentiful for most businesses. And over the years, I've worked with hundreds of companies on such ventures, most of which have been successful when carried out following detailed market research and proper planning. It's the lowest risk form of diversification and often presents many new growth opportunities. In the fourth and final podcast, I will look at the other three types of diversification, which are a bit less common amongst SMEs, but are equally worth knowing about as you never know when fortune may knock on your door. Right, so that's it. Thank you very much for listening.